0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another Hostile Q&A, and I want to take some time to answer some questions that have been shot my way. Um, these were asked on the Hostile Subs Instagram page, so if you want to ask questions uh, when we post these, please follow Hostile Supps on Instagram. Um, I'm just going to mention just at the start, like I always do, I am not a scientist, I am not a coach, and I'm not a guru. The answers I am going to give you are from my own experience as a bodybuilder for the last 20-something years. So let's just start it. I'm going to do about half an hour to an hour. I'm just going to run through these and try and give you guys the best answers I can. So first question, will hostile supplements be stocked in the UK? Yes. Uh, hopefully clothing will be first. Supplements will be next. I'm looking at timelines of one to three months for everything altogether. So just to let you guys know, things take a little longer than normal in the industry. It's not, I wish it was a matter of saying, Hey, I want to do this and then have it like happen overnight. It does take more time. And it's kind of my fault because I kind of let you guys know what I'm thinking. But then from the time I think it to the time it happens, there's usually a a time there of a few months. And I think that's the problem is I just have to stop saying things until we're ready to release. But hopefully, if all goes well, the UK should be fully stocked in the next three months. So that's the timeline I'm kind of working with. Uh, Nick Zappoli says, hi, Fuad. I know you guys are working on health supplement line, multivitamins, multiminerals, etc. cetera. Our greens powders on the way to thanks a lot. <clears throat> so I've, uh, me and my wife have sat down cause she's also, for those of you who don't know, she's co-owner of the brand with me, have sat down and, and set out a product roadmap for the next five years. There's probably 65 items on it that we want to release. So a greens powder is definitely in the mix. Is it going to be next or in the next couple months? Probably not. Um, I could say maybe in 2022 at some point, but it's uh, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be part of the vitamin, mineral, multivitamin, multimineral line, but it may come soon after. When do we get hostile in the EU? Standard question. Um, I'm actually talking to a distributor in the EU right now. We're trying to finalize some deals and hopefully we can get Hostile launched in the EU. I'd like to say before 2022. Big fan, Bud. Love the positive vibes you bring back to the fitness community. My question is, have you experienced any issues with loose skin or someone else? How did you adapt or fix? I have not personally, but any clients I have that have had loose skin, if it's to the point where it's, you know, loose skin and it's definitely not going to go away. There's no more elasticity or it was maybe you were, it was stretched to the point where it just can't come back. Surgery is the only way I know to really get rid of that completely. Um, but at, like I said, at the end of the day, it kind of depends on how far it's been stretched. Surgery is an option and they do a pretty good job now to make it look like there was never a problem. So I would look into that. Um, let's see, hostile wrist wraps coming soon. I am gonna keep that one under wraps. There may be something cool on the way. How far into prep should performance should performance in the gym start to fall off? Uh and is there a general percent percentage where that's expected? So uh the most perfect answer is your strength would never fall off, is your perfect your diet is gonna be so perfect that you're able to stay pretty lean the whole way through and eat a, a good amount of calories and never really have that drop off in performance because you did everything right. The fact of the matter is, is most of us, when we're trying to bulk up, have to put on a little bit of excess fat and not get gross and sloppy, but we're going to have to put on a lot of excess fat. So we're going to have to diet those, that fat off. At some point you're going to be on low carbs or lower calories, or even, you know, lower body fat, but When the lower calories and lower carbs starts to come into play, the weight will start to come off, but the last five to 10 pounds is always the hardest. And that's when you really got to push your body. And I find that wherever you are in your diet, where your calories have dropped considerably, that's when you're going to start to notice a performance. Now, for most people, if you want a general idea, for most bodybuilders, when they hit around four weeks out from a show, that's when the calories are starting to dip pretty low. And you start to feel like your strength is dropping. Now, another thing other than that is even if you've done everything right and your calories were high throughout your prep, at the end of your prep, when your body fat is very low, you're in low single digits or mid single digits, you're going to notice a strength difference and your overall feeling is not going to be the same in the gym. So I would say even if you did everything right the last two to three weeks, so you could say four between two and four weeks is really the time where you notice that strength drop off. If you're eight weeks out and you're already noticing your strength drop off, either you were too fat when you started your prep and you've had to diet too hard or you've done something wrong and you've cut too many calories, there shouldn't be a performance drop off that soon in your diet. If you started dieting at 12 weeks and four weeks later, your your performance is already suffering. Like I said, you were too fat when you started and you've had to cut calories too much or you're you've set up your diet a little bit maybe the wrong way. The other reason there's other reasons why performance can drop off. Like this is kind of a, a very broad question, but maybe you were doing a carb diet and you switch to a keto diet. A lot of guys notice when they switch to keto, they notice, you know, strength performance drop off. So there's a lot of different reasons, but in general, when you're prepping for a show around the two to four week mark is usually the, the drop in performance. Now the percentage of how much it drops is also going to depend on how much you have to drop your calories if you were pretty lean going in and you didn't have to diet super, super hard, you might only lose 10% performance, 20% performance. If you were, if your body's being super, super stubborn and you can't seem to get that last five or 10 pounds off and you cut your calories even further cut your carbs even further, you may notice 40% drop off in in performance and strength. I've been there and those things do happen. So there isn't really an exact answer, but from my experience and my, time competing in all the shows I've done usually the four week mark is where performance starts to suffer Uh, when training quads why do I feel it mainly in my teardrop foot position is probably the main thing foot position foot your stance is also another Um, you want to adjust your stance a lot of people think if your feet are far apart you're going to get a lot of teardrop where they've actually done studies that show that your lateralis which is your outer sweep actually fires more with a wider stance. But the thing is with that is you're also going to get a lot of hip and a lot of glute. So if you're trying to isolate the quad and you don't want as much hip and glute involved in your, in your press, let's say leg press, hack squat, squat, you want to use a little bit narrower stance. Now, if you're squatting, you have to be careful because if you're going to use a little bit narrower stance. Now you might come up on your heels. And if you're up on your heel, if your, your heels come up and you're on your toes, that's not really the proper way to squat. You always want to be squatting through the heel. So be careful with your stance, narrowing it and and widening it. What I will say though, is if you're getting a lot of teardrop, it could be because your stance is um, too close and you need to widen it a little bit, but you don't want to go too wide or else now you're going to get some hip and glute and you don't want to get that involved. So you have to just play around with your stance a little bit. Uh, Play around also with your toe position um i would go straight my i like to have my feet straight i don't like to go too wide when i feel like my feet go wide i end up getting a little bit more um teardrop or vastus but go with your toes straight and that ends up i feel like i get more of an overall quad there and also on the shoulder width uh conversation if we're talking about a narrow stance or a wide stance if I'm looking at overall quad development, I don't want to go super wide and I don't want to go super narrow. I want to go somewhere in the middle and develop everything. If you're trying to target, if you're don't, if you working on glutes and hips and you don't already have a massive ass, I would go a little bit wider stance. Toes out very slightly. You can get that, lat- that lateralis on the outer sweep working. So um, a lot of times too, the teardrop is already overdeveloped on guys. And I've had this problem, so it tends to take over kind of no matter where your stance is. But um, like I said, I would open up that stance a little bit and kind of see how you feel that way because people generally have this idea where if my feet are really, really close together, I'm going to get more outer sweep. But they actually end up getting a lot more teardrop involved. Uh, going to my second real off-season, thinking about starting to use a carb powder pre-workout thoughts on this. I love carb powder pre-workout. So one of the things I adopted from John Meadows was the, uh, peri new workout nutrition uh, model where you use carbs. The majority of your carbs in the day are pre intra post-workout. And I've noticed a big difference in performance when using carbs pre-workout and intra. So our intra R3 already has carbs in it. It's like 20 grams which I feel like is kind of enough to give you like the fuel you need and a little bit of extra pump and stuff in the gym. But, um, if you, if you're in the off season, let's say, and you're kind of calories aren't really an issue or if calories are an issue, but you want to like centralize your carbs somewhere, I feel like you can really increase your performance by doing 25 to 50 grams pre-workout. Be careful with the 50. It might affect your stomach, but 25 to 50 grams pre-workout, 25 to 50 grams, intra workout, And then 25 to 50 grams post-workout, this kind of setup will change your performance dramatically in the gym. I, I don't really, it doesn't really matter what anybody says for me personally, when I've done it, I've noticed definitely have increased pumps, increased energy, increased strength. Everything just feels better with more carbs in that time slot. Now they have to be the right carbs. When I see people eating a muffin on the way to the gym, it kind of freaks me out. I'm like, for me, that would just sit in my stomach, but I kind of have a sensitive stomach. So maybe that's just me. But I'm talking about like a branch cyclic dextrin, something that's going to digest extremely fast and and your body's going to be able to use it. So um, that to me is the best source around your workout pre-intra post to get the most benefit from it. And just so you guys know, uh, because I believe in that so much, we're actually in the process of working on our carb powder that will be released also soon because I always said when we started the company, I wanted to release the products that I kind of like first, which we have to this point. And then carb powder was the next one. So it's on the way and it's something I really believe in. So that's why we're kind of, it's the next one on the list. Uh, Will hostile ever do an ambassador type program or only athletes? Could we ever get a Paul judging corner type show where he breaks things down from the view of a coach? Or tips that coaches look for? Well, we could do a Paul show where he breaks things down from the eyes of a judge. Paul's not really a coach. He has coached some people, but his profession is judging. So uh, we can get him to break a physique down um, as a professional judge would and show you guys kind of what what goes into it that way. It's kind of something we already do with the Rate Your Physiques. Uh, we may be able to do some maybe a centralized show for that, like I did a couple videos just for Rate Your Physique, but... That's something we do do as a whole on the podcast, but I may be able to work with Paul on getting just a set show just for that thing. And so people can see how uh, an IFBB judge kind of breaks down a physique. It's actually a good idea as far as the ambassador program, maybe down the line, but right now we have about 10 to 12 athletes. I'm happy with the athletes we have, and we're just going to kind of stick to those right now and kind of grow our team and grow the company together. Uh, what current bodybuilder do you all think should just have retired gracefully? Well, uh, this isn't for the podcast. It's just for me. So I'm going to answer it just for myself. What current bodybuilder do you think all should just, re- do you all think should just re- retired gracefully? Uh, me, I should retire <laughs> gracefully, you know? Um, I don't know. Uh, is there anybody, you know, I, I don't think there's a, I think everybody's kind of gone out when they split, when they should go out. I mean, Dexter, kept going until his body didn't do it anymore. And then once it didn't do it anymore, Dexter said, okay, that's, that's it for me. I mean, Ronnie, same thing. Ronnie kept going, kept winning as long as he was winning. Why stop? Right. As soon as he kind of saw the writing on the wall, he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move on. And um, when it comes to me personally, same thing, I, I I wanted to compete forever until my body said to me, Hey, you know, you're, it's injury after injury. It's time to kind of move move it along. I think nobody, it's a, it's very hard for any professional athlete. And I say athlete, but you know, we're bodybuilders. I don't know if you consider that athlete, but I think it's very hard for anybody in a professional sport, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it to walk away when they're on top. It's very, you don't really see that very much in other sports. It's rare. Uh, You can, I can probably pick out a handful of cases in each sport where that's happened, but it's not, it's definitely not the norm. It's the exception. And I think the same goes in bodybuilding. I can't really pick out anybody in bodybuilding who retired at the peak of their career. Everybody I can think of that has that had a great career that retired kind of walked away when their body told them it was time to walk away. Nobody's ever, you know, won an Olympia and been totally healthy and just said, "You know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to walk away now." I can't really think. I mean, Lee Haney is probably the best example of somebody who walked away gracefully. Walked away on top, but I also think he saw Dorian Yates coming. So I don't know if that one's fair, but out of everybody I've mentioned, I think Lee Haney is probably the one to retire the most gracefully of anybody I can think of at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think people just, I think bodybuilders, athletes, whoever you want to call it, I think they retire. I think people retire. If you love doing something, there's no reason for for you to retire until your body is just decided it doesn't want to do it anymore. And then, then it's time to hang it up. Um, does you, does your training uh, differ in the final weeks of contest prep? If so, how does it change? I, I try not to change my training in the final weeks of contest prep. The only way I think it would change is I might lower the weights a little bit so that I don't get injured. But I still try and keep the weights relatively heavy because I feel like that heavy – It's I guess it's a bro science thing, but a lot of bodybuilders will tell you this. I feel like the heavier I can lift closer to a show, the – better my body will look and less stringy, I guess, for lack of a better term, better term. But most bodybuilders believe this, that if they can keep their training pretty consistent all the way through to the show, that they're going to keep the look that got them there. So they all most, I don't want to speak for everybody, but most bodybuilders will scale back a little bit on the weights uh, at the final, you know, two to four weeks there just to prevent any injury. You're not really building muscle at that point. You're in a calorie deficit. You're trying just to get a little bit harder and more detailed leading into the show. So there's no point trying to break PRs when you're two weeks out. It's more just to keep the look of your body. So you lift as heavy as you can without risking injury. So the weights may come down a bit. Uh, Why do you think people nowadays underestimate themselves or train less hard and fear overtraining? I don't think people fear... (laughs) Let me, how can I put this? I don't think people underestimate themselves and I don't think people don't want to work hard. I think a lot of science has come out. I feel like the the waters have been muddied a little bit, right? Because back in the day, I don't feel like people knew enough about the body. So they were just like, train all out, do whatever you can be in the gym as long as you can do as many sets as you can lift as heavy as you can and do it every single day. Don't take any fucking days off. That's the way to grow. I don't think everybody thought that way, but I think maybe it was a common feeling, right? And then as we start to learn how the body works, we start to learn that, you know, recovery is important and active recovery is important and sleep is more important than we thought. And you can overtrain, you can do too much where the body will start to, go backwards instead of going forwards and making more progress. You know, people like Dorian Yates came along and he was trying to tell people, not trying to, he did tell people in the off season, you know, four days a week got him better results than five days a week. And even nowadays, bodybuilders will tell you, you know, six days a week is too much. Five days a week seems to be good. So just a lot of, a lot of theories have come out. A lot of science has come out. A lot of trial and error has been done where bodybuilders are kind of learning that there is a sweet spot and I think what happens is that line gets blurred sometimes and people may mistake being tired for overtraining or maybe they're scared maybe they didn't make any progress maybe they plateaued so they feel like oh maybe I overtrained I better scale back so I don't know if it's necessarily that people are lazy I feel like there's just so much information out there about Don't go to failure. Be careful going to failure and and don't train too much and make sure you're recovering and make sure you take a lot of days off and make sure that people maybe are confused and they just don't know where their threshold is or where their line is or where they don't maybe don't know how to, if they don't have the experience, they might not know how to, how to identify overtraining in their own body. So they err on the side of caution oh i feel run down maybe i should take a day off it's not necessarily a bad thing i think it's just hard for people to identify where the line is for them so they are some people not all not all some people err on the side of caution and i think more people do that than not whereas the other half that are still hardcore bodybuilders Are trying to push the envelope more than err on the side of caution. So it's not necessarily either one is right. It's just, I think it takes, if you're serious about this bodybuilding thing, it takes two, three, four, even five years to start to recognize what your body is doing and what it wants. I don't think I knew shit my first year. I just, I don't think I knew shit my fifth year, to be honest with you, but my first year training, I lived, eat, breathe bodybuilding and it didn't I just did it all the time. I didn't want to take days off. I would take days off, but I didn't want to take days off. I didn't want to leave the gym. I would be in there longer than I had to be. Um, I was doing like failure on every single set I did. And it was no, there was no warm ups or feeders or anything. And um, I think it just takes time. There's a, there's a learning curve and it's not a learning curve, like a textbook, like you read a textbook learning curve. It's like, there's a learning curve for your own body where you have to do this thing for a year to five before you start to recognize, oh, you know what? I'm tired. I'm not overtrained. I'm just tired. So I'm going to suck it up and I'll to go to the gym and I'll bust my ass. Or another day you might go, you know what? I'm tired. I kind of feel lethargic and I'm a little bit sore still. And I didn't really sleep well last night. And yeah, you know what? Maybe I have been overtraining. I'm going to take today off. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and label like all the new kids are lazy because that's really a shitty thing to do. And uh, I don't want to say that everybody's training balls to the wall. There's kind of conflicting evidence. And I think everybody has to learn for themselves where their body is being overtrained or not being overtrained. It's going to be different for everybody. Your eating habits are going to matter. Your sleeping is going to matter. Um, Your supplements are going to matter. All of that is going to play into, into whether you overtrained or not. So I can't sit here and tell you, well, if you train more than five days and you're overtraining, I can't maybe your eating is way better than mine maybe you're sleeping 12 hours a night maybe you're taking the best supplements on earth and you're recovering way faster and you can train 6 days a week maybe you don't train as hard so you can train 7 days a week cuz your body's not going to the depths that I'm going to so there's so many different variables there's no way to tell somebody they're training hard enough hard enough or not training hard enough i think that's just something old people fucking say to make themselves feel better about their generation I think bodybuilding is still well intact and people still train their fucking ass off. And that's evident by the way you see Ian lifting and James lifting. And these are the new generation, right? Hunter and Nick, and uh, these are the guys, right? And these guys still have that same fire. And I think for the general population, they may be confused by this YouTube channel or that YouTube channel. And for those people, I would just say, learn your body. Learn where you feel overtrained. Learn what it means to be overtrained, and then you can identify it that way. Uh, do you do you think free weight movements like bent over rows are important when wanting to build a big back, or would you see similar progress with cables and machines? Um, it's kind of a loaded question. I don't. There is no movement that you have to do. Let's just say that, okay? In bodybuilding, it's not about this or that. That's why I think these questions kind of maybe irk me or frustrate me more than any because I don't know what the necessity is for people to ask this or that. You go into a gym and you have everything. And if you're building your own gym in your house, then, okay, you're limited. In which case, having a barbell is the easiest thing to have. So just get a barbell and do barbell rows. But I'm talking about going to a gym. If you go to a gym, you have... A machine you have free weights you have cables you have everything available to you do it all do it all it's not barbell rows are not better than machine plate loaded lat rows seated rows or or uh cable lat pull downs are not better than chins or whatever uh the similar exercise you want to talk about free versus machine it's not better it's better for you right Bodybuilding is a very specific, there are some generalities, but it's a very specific sport. I may go in and go and do barbell rows and my back may explode, but I may go to some machine row and I might not even feel it. I'd be like, this sucks. I don't want to do it. And vice versa. You may bend over. you may grab a barbell and do some bent over barbell rows and feel, be like, I only feel this in my arms and my shoulders and it's giving me a sore lower back. I'm not feeling in my lats where you might go sit on a hammer strength plate loaded lat row and be like, my lats feel incredible. I feel them down to the bone. The answer to your question is you sh- when you're starting out, you should do everything and you should do it all light and you should learn how to feel everything. And if you don't feel it, you shouldn't discard it right away because you're still new and you still need time for your body to build that mind muscle connection when you're doing that exercise. What I will say is after a while, after training for a year, two years, three years, you'll start to recognize what works for you. Okay, I did the barbell row, didn't get any back growth, didn't get sore, didn't feel a connection, but I did the T-bar row and it felt amazing. Or I did the seated plate loaded row and it felt incredible. Or I did some cable contraption that I found, you know, some pro doing and I tried it and it felt incredible keep everything in your arsenal there's no reason to expel anything like you don't have to say i love machines i hate barbell rows you know me and ben get in these little quagmire like these little arguments where he's like well maybe that guy doesn't feel about barbell rows and i'll be like well maybe he doesn't feel machines and it's stupid because you just do both you should be doing everything until you learn how to do everything and then you discard the movements you don't feel and that's how you choose your exercises and what you're going to move forward with. But make sure you're learning how to do the exercises before you discard it because barbell rows are actually one of the hardest things to get right. Because a lot of guys end up feeling them in their rhomboids, their traps, their rear delts, their arms, all because of form. So make sure your form is right. Whenever you're using you're doing anything. That way, you're not discarding something by accident. Like, You might say, well, barbell rows suck, but if you're doing them wrong, then you don't know if they suck or not. So make sure you got your form down before you start to choose your exercises. And to answer your question, I can't answer your question. There isn't one that's better or not. There's one that's better or not for you. For me personally, free weight weight back movements are the way I built my back. I did barbell rows, T-bar rows are my absolute favorite, but I also did Smith machine rows. I also did seated cable, like heavy seated cable rows. Uh, I also did a lot of pull down stuff. I mean, there wasn't anything I discarded, but I can say that there was always T bar rows and barbell rows in my back workouts. So those are the things I like, but doesn't mean they're the best. Uh, what pushed you to start your own supplement company? Uh, there wasn't a company out there that was like mine. I mean, I know people are going to be like, that's not true. There's a bunch. There's more now. I'll tell you that. There's more now. I noticed like, and I'm going to be completely honest, and this is just what I, this is what I saw. So I could be wrong. But when we started, I could only point to one or possibly two, maybe three other companies that I thought had really good formulas, like properly dosed, heavy in ingredients, like not really skimping on anything to the level that we're at right after we launched and I'm not saying it's because we launched, I'm just saying, maybe I started to look more and notice more, but after we launched, I started to notice, okay, there's kind of a bunch more that now have really increased their formulas. And it might've been because of the success we had early on. People, people saw like, Hey, there, there's a market for people that want really good formulas. The reason I started to be honest with you is, The previous company I was with, the two two previous companies I was with, I offered them my services. I said, look, this is what I think I can do. I think we can create a subline of your brand that is made for bodybuilders. That's made for people that want like a really good heavy dosed ingredient. That's going to give them everything they want full of performance. And both companies looked at me and said, there's no market for that that's a waste of time and a waste of money. And I was like, okay, I don't think I agree with you because I know what, I think I know what bodybuilders want. And I think I know people want the truth. So I don't agree. So I left the company and I started putting together my own raw ingredients. I would, I just bought a whole bunch of raw ingredients, started mixing and matching and trying to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. And I thought I can just do this better than them. I can, And it's a, look, it's an arrogant way to think, but this is how you have to think whether you're becoming a bodybuilder or you're becoming a business person. You have to believe in yourself. And if you want to be a bodybuilder, you have to believe that if you want to be a pro bodybuilder, you want to make a living at this shit, you have to believe that you're going to get there. It doesn't matter how stupid it looks to anybody watching, how dumb your friends think you are, how crazy your family thinks you are. You have to believe that you're going to get there if you don't believe that you're going to get there, you're not going to get there. And I know that sounds really fluffy and cheesy, but that's evident by my career. I, I'll i tell you guys this, where I believed I think I would make it, I fucking made it. And the reason I didn't make it past that point, it's not because my physique wasn't good enough. I didn't believe I was going to make it past that point. I put the my own limitations on myself. So when this company reached out and said, when they, when they got back to me and said, we don't think that's going to work. I was like, I don't fucking agree with you. I don't agree with what you're saying. And I believe that I can make something that people are going to love. And I do think people are going to appreciate that we went all in on this shit and we're not skimping for marketing dollars or skimping on ingredients for whatever reason, for a cheaper product. I do think people are going to see that. I do think people are going to use it. And I do think people are going to enjoy it. So I, I basically just got fed up with not being able to have the thing I wanted. So I made my own. And I, you know, what's funny. It's like, I think, I think that happens like that happens a lot in business. Like if you look at like, uh, like Ferrari, Ferrari, the, the guy wanted to design race cars and he's like, he's like, I'm just going to do it. Cause this is what I want. This is what I know I can make. I know I can make this thing better than everybody else. So I'm going to make it. And he did. And, um, I know that's a really silly comparison because it's supplements, but the question is what pushed you to start your own supplement company. And the truth is I just thought I could do it better. I, I, I've, I don't, I think being in being a bodybuilder for 20 years gives me a leg up on the competition against people that aren't bodybuilders because I think I know what people want. So whether that's true or not, time will tell. But for the time being, it's been working. And I, and I feel like people appreciate the effort I put back, whether it comes to like, our shirts, because I know what kind of shirt I want to train in. I know what, I I know what a good shirt feels like. So when it whether it comes to our shirts, our hoodies, our supplements, whatever we put out, I'm like, uh, it's got to be something I like, or I'm not, you know, so. Sorry, it's a, it's a long answer to a short question. What pushed me to start my own supplement company was just thinking that I could do it better and wanting to put something out that I want to use and I'm proud of. And that was basically the root of it is I thought I could do something different and better than the next guy. So that's what we're doing. Um, How important is frequency? Is there much of a difference between training the same body part once every three or four days compared to five or six days? Well, depends how hard you train. Excuse me. That's a, it's kind of a different question. It's it's kind of a hard question to answer because it depends how hard you train. If you train, if you're training with higher volume and you're training to failure, you're probably going to need five or six days. If you're training, it also depends if you're enhanced or if you're not enhanced. I mean, there's so many other questions that come into this, right? So, um, you know, if you're doing a low volume and you're not training to failure, you can probably get away with training your same body part every three days. If you're training high volume and you're going to fail you, failure, failure, you're probably going to need five days. Like I would never tell somebody go do a high volume train to fail your quad day with me and then do it again, three days later. I just don't think that's very valuable. I feel like you should train a muscle after it's recovered. You shouldn't train it while it's still destroyed from training like two or three days beforehand. Um, So that's kind of where I lie there, but there's not really enough information in the question because there's so many variables to whether you can train every three days or every five days. It's kind of hard to answer that one. Um, is it you that had the split hams and quads into two days and what movements would you do for each? Uh, yeah, I've done both. So I've done uh, quads and hams together and I've done programs where I've did quad quads and hams separately. And it's very simple. Quad days. We're always leg extension, leg press, hack squat, squat, maybe a lunge to finish. And then hamstring days were lying leg curls, seated leg curls, single, single leg, leg curls, um, stiff leg deadlifts, uh, maybe a dumbbell stiff leg deadlift. I wouldn't do both of those, usually four exercises. And I would also also do calves on both those days too. Usually two exercises, a seated calf and a standing calf or a donkey calf and a standing calf. But uh, it's very simple. You're looking at four exercises per, per day. And there's a million I shouldn't say a million, somebody's going to take it literally, but there is dozens of quad movements or hamstring movements you can do uh, to fill in those gaps. Oh, and the only other thing I want to say is I would make sure they're far enough apart. So if I was doing quads on Saturday, say, for example, I would do hamstrings, usually Tuesday. I want three days after my hamstring day. I don't like, let me see how I can put this. I don't mind training hamstrings if my quads are sore from Saturday, right? Like, so Saturday you train quads, Sunday, Monday roll by, let's say your quads are still a little sore on Tuesday. I don't mind training hamstrings. That hamstring day is actually not going to put any stress on my quads, but pumping new blood may help my quads recover faster. The inverse is not true. If you train hamstrings on, let's say Wednesday, And then Thursday and Friday go by and now it's Saturday and your hamstrings are still sore. It's going to affect your quad day because squatting, leg pressing, all of that involves a lot of hamstrings. So if your hamstrings are still sore from Wednesday, because it's too close to Saturday, you're going to have a problem. So I usually use put hamstrings on Tuesday. That way I have three days in between hamstrings and quads. So they don't affect each other at all. Why are people so sensitive nowadays? Uh, I'm one of those people probably because people are more asshole days, these days. <laughs> so it goes hand in hand. I think, um, with social media, there's a lot of people that are basically just get their thrills from talking shit. Let's, let's find somebody, let's pick out the worst things about them we can find and let's try and pick at that scab and try and get them angry. And people are very jealous and, envious or just hateful or bored whatever you want to call it so they attack people and i think most people aren't ready for it most people don't like it and some people don't care some people do i'm in the sensitive camp man i don't like i don't like dealing with that shit i don't feel like this it's called for uh there's days when i don't care and there's days where i do care you catch me on the wrong day i i might just block somebody delete their comment block them whatever you catch me on a day where I don't care, then I'd probably just leave it and move on with my day. I mean, there's that type of sensitivity. Then there's there's other stuff that we can get into politically. I mean, the climate is very... I'm going to stick to social media. The climate and social media is very tough right now if you're trying to get ahead. Because as you try to promote yourself, the further you get ahead, the more trolls or haters come on board. So you have to develop a thicker skin uh, I'm better at this now than I was five years ago. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be so good that I don't care at all. So it's just depends on your personality, right? It's everybody's different. Um, why did you want to become a bodybuilder? Funny story. I actually, I just told the story the other day. Cause somebody was asking me about my gym, the hostile gym that I'm putting up. I actually became a bodybuilder so I could own my own gym. This is this, this is how backwards this sounds. So, I love training and I love being in the gym and I was like, "Man, I just want my own gym." But I was like, "I'm poor. I can't I can't get my own gym. I don't have the fucking money. How am I going to get the money to become owner of a gym?" I thought, "If I become famous as a bodybuilder, somebody will invest in my name and I'll become part owners with this person that invests in me and we will own the gym together. And that will be how I'll get my start. That was my thought process at 20 years old. So now here we are and I've invested in myself now with my own company and I finally got my gym. So it's like the whole thing took me 22 years, probably could have been done a lot faster, (laughs) but, but um, yeah, the original thought process was I just want to train in my own gym the entire reason I became a bodybuilder is I just love to work out. And I was like, I want to get paid to work out. I was like, how can I get paid to work out? I was like, well, if I own my own gym, then people will pay for memberships and I'll make a living owning my own gym and I can just work out. But I, but then I was like, well, how am I going to get the gym? And then I thought, well, if I become a bodybuilder, I have a name then I can use my name as leverage to get to partner with somebody on owning a gym. So just this just this really weird reason to become a bodybuilder. But, I don't know. It worked out. So um, what do you, oh, oh obviously EAAs pre, uh, preserve muscle during prep. How much and how often are you having them? Well, EAs preserve muscle all the time, not just during prep, but obviously more so on, on if you're in a deficit, but um, I have EAAs if I'm prepping, usually I'm doing cardio in the morning. So I'll have my EAAs either pre-cardio or during my cardio. Um, and then I'll do, uh, we have EAs in our intra R3. So our intra R3 is our intra workout product. So I have another dose of EAs in our, in my, during my workout. Uh, if I don't have the intra R3, I'll have the silo nine, which is EAs minus the carbs and minus some other performance ingredients, but I'll still get a dose of EAs in intra workout and usually intracardio or before my cardio. So two servings a day, it's one scoop. One scoop is eight grams So 16 grams total for the day is usually all you need. Now I have been on protocols with some coaches that are kind of crazy with their AAs. They'll do like a scoop pre-workout or sorry, a scoop pre-cardio, a scoop post-cardio. Then they do a scoop intra uh, workout and a scoop uh, post uh, training as well. So, and I think I might have a scoop before bed too. I couldn't do that myself. I'm just like, I I don't need to drink all these AAs, but that's a very, very popular coach that does that. Um, so some coaches obviously are going to be heavier on it than me. Like I said, for me, it's just in the times when I'm training or cardio. Cause that's when I feel like you need that muscle sparing benefit the most. And also the silo nine product uh, has hydration in it as well. It has a hydration matrix in it as well. So I feel like it's really good when you get up in the morning before your cardio, you drink that, you kind of get yourself hydrated I don't feel like it's healthy to be doing anything on a, in a dehydrated state. So drinking the EAAs before cardio or during cardio gets me hydrated faster. And it also keeps me hydrated during my workout. So my pumps are better. So the hydration aspect is actually a major part of it as well. What do you think is the optimal amount of workouts in the week for recovery and growth? You pros seem to do five times. I do think five times. Five times is the best for me. Because I can go uh, three days on, so like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, Friday, Saturday, and then take Sunday off, which I love because Sunday has been my day off. Like I'll train sometimes, but most of the time, like 90% of my career, Sunday is my day of rest. I don't do anything. I don't like to move around. I like to just chill out, maybe sit in the pool, hang out with my family, just very, very chill day. Um, so that works out well. And then Thursday, I just maybe do podcast stuff or do stuff for the business, I do some running around that I, I don't get a chance to do during the week. And um, it, it just breaks up the week well. Six is too many. I found that I, the most injuries I got in my career was when I was training six days a week because I didn't know how to pull back. It was always like 100% all the time. And that caused too many injuries. So five days a week forces me to let my body rest. Honest review of your own product. What would you rate your product compared to others? The Fucking 10. (laughs) And I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I honestly think... Okay, I'll say this. Flavor. I'll say some of the flavors are 9. Some of the flavors are 8. They have to be on ice. I would not drink uh, my product warm. But I wouldn't drink any product warm. I don't even drink like apple juice warm. So that's probably just me. I don't like any, just, you know, unless it's coffee or tea, I'm not drinking it warm or hot. So everything I drink is on ice, but especially our product has to be on ice. It has to be cold. And that only thing, that's the only area of our product that I would give less than a 10. And I'm not just saying that because I own a own company, man, we really put every single thing in the in the ingredients in in bloodshot, hostility, everything is clinical dose, not... You got to be careful. Some companies will say clinical doses. They may have one or two ingredients that are a clinical dose. Every single ingredient in bloodshot and hostility and intra R3 and silo nine are all clinical doses. Every single ingredient, not one ingredient is underdosed now. So that's one thing. So then you can say, well, there's other companies out there that have 25 gram scoops or 30 gram scoops. Sure. Uh, the ones that aren't using branch chains. Okay that actually have performance ingredients at the 25 to 30 gram scoop. They're great products. I'm not going to say anything about them. They're actually good products. The reason I give ours a 10 over theirs is I like the synergy of our product. I like the the types of in, the ingredients that we chose actually work very, very well together. And I've tried other products that have 25 gram scoops, 30 gram scoops with all performance ingredients. I don't feel the same. They feel good. hundred percent feel good. I'm not going to talk shit, but I just like ours better. I I feel like the synergy of the ingredients, the dose of the ingredients, and then everything down to the fine details, right? Like our clothing, the material matters. Like everything feels really good to wear. It fits in the right places. It's not just a garbage bag t-shirt. Our hoodies, same thing. The material's better. It's not just a big baggy sloppy hoodie that you can get anywhere. You know what I mean? So everything's custom fit. Everything's custom made. It's like... we just, everything, everything down to the label is just, we pay attention to everything. And I honestly would rate, we don't cut corners anywhere. And I don't believe in less effort than I can give. And if I ever did, like, I'll give you guys an example. So we're coming out with like a high stim pre at some point. Don't quote me on it. Could be a few months, but I want to come up with a high stim pre, like a, like a really high stim pre, like hostility is very mild. It's not a high stem pre. It's like 300 grams of caffeine. To me, that's mild. It's like an Americano at Starbucks, right? Like a grande Americano is like 300 grams of caffeine, milligrams of caffeine. So we, I, we came out with a moderate stem product and a stem free product, but people are asking for a super high stem, like crazy whacked out pre-workout. That's not my cup of tea. I don't, I don't like that. So When we do something like that, I'll say to you guys, look, this is for you guys. I may only use this on a day when I'm super fucking tired. It's not something I use all the time. It's more for you. I didn't formulate it for me. So I'll be honest with you. But the stuff that we've made so far is all stuff that I use that I love that I will give a 10 out of 10 on. And even the high stem pre, we're going to put our best foot forward. I just can't say that it's my favorite product because I don't, I don't really use like super high stim products, but, um, but yeah, if I had to give us a grade, like I said, some of the flavor, I don't think we have a 10 out of 10 flavor, except maybe the orange intra R3 is bang on the chocolate protein, chocolate protein. The proteins are 10 out of 10 chocolate protein, the cinnamon oatmeal, um, cookie protein is, those are bang on. Um, the pre-workouts because they're so heavily dosed they're very hard to make a 10 like i got an email from a guy who's like yeah i tried this other and i'm not going to mention the name i tried this other pre-workout i love the way yours makes me feel so much more but this other one tastes so much better and i looked at the ingredients the other one had an eight gram scoop eight grams like ours is triple the size and when i say scoop guys just so you know like The amount of ingredients in your product goes in that scoop. So uh, an eight gram scoop is like this, like this, like the tip of my, the tip of my pinky finger. That's an eight gram scoop, right? Our scoop is three times that. That means there's three times the amount of ingredients, which means it's three times harder to flavor. So if you're drinking a pre-workout that tastes like juice, like apple juice or fruitopia, check the scoop size. It's probably not that big right? And if you're taste, if you have one that tastes good, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's good for a pre-workout. That's what ours is. It's good for a pre-workout. Like I wouldn't sit around and sip ours and think it's like, you know, tastes like, uh, some amazing cocktail. It tastes like a pre-workout. It tastes good for a pre-workout. It's, it's not a 10, it's a nine. And I'm always working on making the flavors better, but that's how I would rate everything. Uh, okay. We'll do a couple more. I think I've been on for almost an hour. Okay. Let's see. Your take on fasted cardio during gaining season. Um, I don't think it matters if you do it fasted or not. If I'm in the off season, I might do a fasted. I might do a post-cardio cardio, post-workout. I don't think it, I don't think it really matters. I don't think it's going to be like, you burn too much muscle if you do half an hour in the morning on an empty stomach. I I don't think that is, I think it's kind of irrelevant. Uh, When you do your cardio, if you do it fasted, it's fine. If you do it post-workout, it's fine. I still think you're going to get the same benefit, especially in the off season. Um, I swear, I'm not some beginner asking this. What did you do for abdominal training to make your abs a little more developed and blockier specifically to improve the abs and ab and thigh pose. Um, I don't really think people want blocky abs, but they do want defined abs. And I just think training abs every other day during prep is what did that. I think also just lifting heavy did it. I mean, if you look at any bodybuilders that train hard, they have good ab development, whether their abs are genetically in line perfectly is different, but, most bodybuilders that train hard have pretty good ab development just because lifting will trains your core, right? But if you want them to really be etched in and blocky and, you know, like, let's say like Nick Walker's abs are like thick blocks. You got to train them every other day. Every other day. I just do weighted stuff. I don't think you need to do or sorry, uh, body weight stuff. I don't think you need to do weighted crunches or anything. I think you just need to train them every other day and they will, they will show through. And I also think obviously how lean you are is what's going to depend on how etched in they look, but training heavy, doing abs every other day, uh, are two things that will definitely help you get blockier, thicker, more etched in detail. If you're lean enough, uh, due to job and family priorities, I work out at four fifteen in the morning, which gives me about 15 minutes from waking up to when I'm walking in the gym. Thoughts on chugging an intra-R3 when I wake up and then drinking one during training. Or is a food source better before training than having R3 during? Uh, No, I think having a big meal before you, not a big meal, but I think having a good meal before you go to bed is important. And then I think EAAs, what I would do is drink Silo 9 pre, and then I would drink your intra-R3 during. Um, you could just drink the intra R3 and put two scoops and start drinking it before and then drink it through your workout. Cause there's EAAs in your intra R3. So you could do that as well. For me personally, what I would do because I'm, because I, I, I need the boost. If I got up at four 15 to work out, I would slam a, a scoop of hostility just to kind of wake me up. And then I would do the intra R3 during. So that's just what I would do. But if you don't need the stimulant push, then yeah, I would just do two scoops of intra R3 and drink it kind of starting before all the way through your workout. Uh, Thoughts? Oh, I'm not going to answer that. Okay. Sorry, guys. Uh, Any tips on how to not feel like you're going to puke after every leg workout? Uh, Well, you could, I mean, look, when you train legs, all the blood is going to be in your legs. That's kind of gives you that nauseous feeling. I kind of like the feeling of wanting to throw up. It makes me feel like I trained hard enough, but not if it's actually like I want to throw up. Like if you are eating the wrong foods pre-workout, they will linger with you and it'll definitely be worse on leg day. So what I mean by that is, for example, especially on leg day, I don't want to eat a high fat. Well, this goes for kind of any day, but leg day, you're going to feel it more. I don't want to eat a high fat meal pre-workout. Okay. A little bit of fat, maybe a small, maybe a teaspoon of peanut butter, maybe a teaspoon of coconut oil, maybe a half an avocado, something, not even an avocado, maybe just something small, right? That's going to not going to affect me, but like having, for example, uh, eight ounces of ground beef, like maybe not even, maybe not extra lean, maybe just regular ground beef or just lean ground beef with, uh, some rice may sound like a good idea, but if you're sens- if your stomach's sensitive, your stomach sensitive, then that fat content in the ground beef could really slow down your digestion. I just don't, I don't advise it. So I would do like chicken breast, rice. I know bro science, but either fish, uh, chicken breast, egg whites, something low in fat, like a low fat protein, even protein powder, like a whey isolate. You can do that with uh, a carb, like a a fast acting carb or a faster acting carb, not a simple carb, but something that's going to digest well, but not, you know, uh like a rice cream of rice um potato i would kind of avoid they tend to digest slower sweet potato same thing fiber content's a little higher so it digests a little slower so i would say rice or cream of rice probably are the fastest digesting for me you may be different and then i would add a little bit of fat just so i don't get a carb crash right like a, just a if i'm doing cream of rice i might add a teaspoon of, of peanut butter Uh, Or if I'm having rice, I might throw a teaspoon of olive oil on top of the rice. Something like that. That will probably eliminate the nauseousness during legs. Potentially. But sometimes, even when you're fully diet, And also, what you could do is your period of time you're taking between eating and getting to the gym. If you're not giving yourself enough time, then that will also leave... Even if your meal is clean, it will also leave you nauseous. So, like, uh, I try and give myself an hour and a half pre-workout for my pre-workout meal to the time I start training for legs, sometimes two hours. I want my food to be fully, di- fully digested when I get in there and I'm, and I start training. I don't want to feel anything sloshing around in my stomach. I don't want to feel bloated. Don't eat and then go to the gym half an hour later and try and train legs. You're going to get nauseous. So uh, yeah, give yourself some time, a cleaner meal. And then even if you do those things, if you train hard enough, you still might get nauseous. So Those are just some ideas you can try. Uh, Okay, here we go. Are you going to do personal training again? Uh, No, I won't. I haven't done personal training in 15 years. Uh, Any tips to prevent nausea when training legs? We just went over that. How do you know whether you are doing too much or if it is part of the process since you get out of your comfort zone? Bodybuilding and life in general. Okay, so how do you know if you're doing too much? So I guess we're gonna touch on the overtraining thing again. And I didn't really give a list last time of how you how you know if you're overtraining. So I'm just gonna go through a quick list and then you can refer to my first answer about overtraining on everything else. The quick list is this one, sleep. If your sleep starts to really suck, that's a problem. It's a, it's an indicator of overtraining. Two, desire. If you don't want to go to the gym, if like and I'm not talking about if you're somebody who doesn't like going to the gym anyway. I'm saying if you're somebody who loves going to the gym and all of a sudden you just don't feel like it, desire is also a key component, okay? You might be like, you might need a couple of days off. So uh, sleep, desire, appetite. If your appetite starts to go to shit, all of a sudden you're not hungry, you don't want to eat any of your meals. And I'm not saying because you feel like eating pizza. I'm saying like just overall, you just don't feel like eating. Appetite is another signifier, right? Um, so we have... We have sleep, desire, appetite, sex drive, libido. Okay, if your sex drive starts to falter and you're like, you know, I don't feel like having sex and I'm just not in the mood, and that's another indicator. So now you have four reasons to think about it. Right, soreness. You're sore all the time, nagging injuries. They're just like not you're not actually injured, just like pains that won't go away, and your body just feels achy all the time. That's another one. So now you've got five. Okay. So there's five things you can look at there. I would say if you have any three of those five at any time, it's probably need. You probably need a day off, maybe two. Sometimes a day off is not enough. Sometimes you may need two. Or if you're already taking five days, if you're, if you're already taking two days off a week or three, you're not eating enough. There's some something in your recovery is going wrong and your body is not adapting to your training. It's not recovering from your training. So, uh, those are, those are five things to think about, right? If you're feeling one of those things, it's probably not a big deal. It's probably not overtraining. probably something else. But if you're feeling, if you're feeling two or three out of those five symptoms or more, then you probably have some, something to consider about maybe taking a day off or maybe even two. Um, is it possible to shed excess body fat without losing too much mass or should I just focus on shedding the fat and then getting going back to rebuild muscle? I think if you do it slowly and you're not, and you have patience, you can keep all of your mass or the majority of it, right? Like you have to find out where your calorie, uh, where your maintenance calories are, right? So let's say you can take in 3000 calories. If you put your deficit at 2,900 calories, you're probably not going to lose muscle. You're training your ass off you're recovering, you're eating clean. If the 2,500 calories are, are good food that your body can utilize, you're probably not going to lose muscle, right? It's, you start losing muscle when you start going 500 calorie deficits, 700 calorie deficits, 1,000 calorie deficits. Now your body's in shock and it's eating away at everything, right? You're training, you're not recovering, your body's just being broken down to shit. It, that's when it doesn't work, right? But if, you, if you're patient about it and you're just trying to strip away one or 200 calories a day, You can hold on to most, if not all of your muscle, as long as you're training hard while you're doing that, the calories that you're eating are calories that your body can utilize for muscle repair. Uh, I think that is a situation where you'd be okay. And if you're not in a rush, that's my suggestion. There's no point in getting shredded and burning five or 10 pounds of muscle off in the process just to try and put it back on. I would just be patient, get under get into a very small calorie deficit, keep training your ass off, and then you'll see the changes come weekly. And as you go, as long as you're patient about it, things will happen for you. Uh, last question we'll take here. Um, What equipment and software do you use to record the podcast? <laughs> so I don't want to take that question, guys. I just use a regular camera. I use a Sony the camera is a Sony 6400 and I use it as a webcam. So it's linked to uh, zoom on my iMac and I have some studio lights here and I have this, uh, this mic and uh, that, Oh, and I have a little soundboard over here. It's a focus, right? Uh, soundboard. And I think that's it. Yeah. It's a very, it's a simple operation. Uh, I don't, it's not uh, very complex. Okay. Last question. Since that's kind of a, that was kind of a cheat question. What's one major piece of advice you'd give a 20 to 25 year old wanting to be a part of the industry? Holy shit. That's a deep question. Okay. So where can we start? Most important thing to, for a 20, 25 year old consistency. So most important thing, find someone that you can trust either online that you trust, like a coach that you've heard talk, or uh, maybe there's a popular podcast that you watch that has some really smart people on it that they can help you. Find a system that you like. Okay, Once you find that system, stick to it. Really stick to it and really like be consistent about it. That's the best advice I can give you because the biggest, and, and there's more to come, but the, the biggest problem I see with young guys when they start, the guys that don't achieve their goals, are the guys that are part-timers, right? They're awesome. Monday to Friday, they're fucking killing it. They're like, I'm a pro-pro bodybuilder. I get all my meals in. I train my ass off. Friday night rolls around, they're at the bar. Saturday rolls around, they're at a pool party in the day, bar at night. Sunday, they're fucking hungover. Monday, they're back to work. But guess what? They lost all their gains Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then they have to restart over on Monday morning. So consistency. I'm not saying don't go on a party. I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself. I'm just saying keep in mind. The, the, the guy who's the most perfect is the guy who's going to achieve his goal first. So the more days you take off, the further away you get from your goal. That doesn't mean don't take days off. It doesn't mean don't party. Just recognize that every day you took off now is going to add to a day later that you got to make up for. So the guys who are part-timers, they never make it because they're constantly just spinning their wheels. They worked out five days. They took three days off to party. They're back at square one. And just this constant fucking loop. You see them gain like one or two pounds a year. They barely ever change. They look good at the bar, but they'll never be pro bodybuilders, even though that's what they want to be. So consistency, number one, stay on top of your shit, find, find a good source and be consistent. That's, 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 those are the first two things. The third thing I could say is expect negativity and welcome it. So, because you're doing something that's such a judgmental pageant lifestyle sport, whatever you want to call it, you are going to receive negativity from day one. Okay. Could be from friends. Could be from family. Could be from competing at your first show. Could be from trying to get a sponsor that doesn't, they, you might be rejected. It could come from anywhere. So One of the biggest tools that I had to learn, it took me a long time to learn because nobody told me that. Nobody tells you this shit. One of the biggest tools I had to learn was the negativity is coming. You're going to have to learn how to turn that negativity into your own strength. So people closest to you may look at you and go, You're not going to make it. This is stupid. What are you doing? You have to be able to look that person in the face that you love that you thought was your biggest supporter, that you thought was your biggest cheerleader, you may have to look that person in the face and go, all right, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm going to show you. And you have to internalize that negativity that they just threw at you and be able to put it back out into your own in your own positive way, whether it be in the gym, whether it be dieting, whether it be in mental focus, whatever it is, it's going to come at you your entire career. Right? You're saying you want to be part of the industry. There is going to be negativity from day one to the last day, and the way, the only thing that sets the successful people apart from the from the non-successful people is they're able to take that negativity and use it as fuel. The more tech, the more negativity you throw at me, the more the better, the better I'm going to do. And it's not because I don't hear it; it's because it just makes me want to work harder. It just kind of pumps me up a bit. I'm like, okay, we're gonna, all right there's a challenge, right? So that's three is expect negativity, expect doubt, expect your own self-doubt, right? There's your own little voice in your own head too. Don't forget. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're never going to make it. You're not, you're not good enough. That voice is going to have to be quelled as well. You're going to have to shut that voice down on a regular basis. So expect negativity. That'll always be there. Um, Be prepared to change when you have to, right? If you're doing something for long enough, you're doing something for a year, six months, two years, three years, it's not working. Be prepared to say, I got to switch gears and try something different. That could happen. Don't want to switch gears too often. You don't want to be the guy that switches programs every single month or every single week or every single time they hear something new. You want to be the guy that has a plan and kind of sticks to it, right? Like I've kind of done the same training for I did it for the first 12 years I did the same training and then I when I found something new and something better I was like okay this is better for me I'm going to try this and I did that for the next 6 7 years diets I used one coach you know every 2 3 years I would switch coaches but I was on those diet plans for 2 or 3 years so you have to be able to know when to switch gears know when something's not working and don't just blindly keep doing the same thing if you're not getting anywhere Um, and you know what, last piece of advice and probably the best, best piece of advice I can give you is pretend you don't know shit. Don't walk around like, you know, everything because, and and this doesn't just go for in the gym or in the kitchen. This means when making contacts with people as well, when talking to sponsors, when pretend just be an open book. I'm willing to meet anybody. I'm willing to learn from anybody. I'm willing to shake hands with anybody. I'm willing to make as many contacts as possible. I'm willing to learn as many training systems as possible. doesn't mean I'm going to, I'm going to use them all, but I got an open mind. I'm going to, I'm going to don't be the guy who knows everything. If I can give you one piece of information that I probably made a mistake with in my early twenties was thinking I had it all figured out. And I thought that way for a long time. And it wasn't until I put that in my back pocket and I was like, that's not helpful to me anymore is when I started looking forward to people who could help me. And I was like, Hey, you know what, maybe I do want, I do need to learn more and I do need to. So when I, around 30 years old, I started to open my eyes a little bit to new systems and things. So don't be stubborn. Don't be closed-minded. Don't think you know it all. Always keep an open mind. Always be looking for new ideas. Always be looking for help and uh, always accept that there is somebody out there that knows more than you do because there always is. And there always is. And even if they don't know more than you, there's always somebody who can help you, whether it's in business or in training or nutrition or any facet of, of this entire industry. Right. So be very open-minded. But I'm going to leave it there. Right. That's, that's about an hour guys. That's probably the best advice I can give you guys starting out. And, um, thanks for watching until next time. Check out hostile.com for all our awesome merchandise and all our awesome supplements and, uh, follow hostile subs on Instagram to ask questions and for any new details coming out about the company. Thank you guys for watching until next time. Sacrifice without regret.